Good morning, church. God is good. And all the time. You know, I know we, I know, it's a thing of faith to say that, right? It is a thing of faith. And so I want to be honest with you. It sounded like 15 of you had faith in, in God's goodness this morning. I just have to be honest, okay? As, as your pastor, I cannot tell a lie. So I have to tell you that God is good all the time. Amen? Let's try it again. God is good. And all the time. I was with uh, K through 6th grade a couple weeks ago, just doing some music with them on my guitar, and, and I went, God is good, and they went, all the time. I was like, whoa. The little kids are getting it, and that's awesome. That is awesome. We have something to be excited about today, too, and uh, I believe it's Bud Defner's 83rd birthday today. Is that right, Bud? Is that right? Come up here for a second. Just come here. Come here. No. <laughs> she said, give him the microphone. I said, no. <laughs> I've been here less than a year, but I'm getting to know you, bud. <clears throat> come here, come here. I'm going to stand up here so I feel big and tall. No. We love you, bud. Happy birthday. Thank you. We love this church, and we love you folks Amen. coming here to church. Thank you. Happy birthday. Isn't he awesome? One of our charter members. <laughs> Uh, but always tells me like it is. I love that about him. And uh, so it's great to be part of Bud's church family here in Calamesa. Um, what if, what if you had gotten everything you ever wanted since you were born? Just think about that for a second. What if you got everything you had ever wanted since the day you were born. There was a, somebody, I heard a little child go, yeah. <laughs> I like, I saw a sweatshirt this morning that said this. It was on a, on a child. I loved it. It was great. Saw it, wanted it, had a fit, got it. <laughs> now, we always, there it is right there. It's great. Nice. Nice sweatshirt. Saw it, wanted it, had a fit, got it. We all resemble that at one point or another in our life, right? And uh, I, I love it. But what if you'd gotten everything you ever wanted since the day you were born? Now just think about it. Just, just process this, this heavy philosophical thought with me. Now imagine, you know, one-year-old and you got everything you wanted. And then at two-year-old, by, by two years, you know what you need in life. And you got everything you wanted as a two-year-old. And then, you know, five, going to kindergarten, you know everything you need, you got it. Six, seven, by the age of ten, you have gotten everything you ever wanted. But even by the age of ten, you may not, your parents may not have had a house big enough to put everything in. Fifteen years old, you've gone through junior high, you're in high school, you're still getting everything you ever wanted, everything you ever wished for. Twenty years old. 30 years old. We can go on. 83 years old. But if, what if you had everything you ever wanted in life up to 83 years? Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> well, you know, some of the more mature, older people are saying that would be a bad thing, and some of the younger ones are going, that would be pretty sweet. 
that would be pretty good. What if, what if you got everything you ever wished for? I told my kids one day, you know, when they were saying, I want this or I want that, I said, let me just tell you something. God loves you so much that he put your mom and I in your life to protect you from getting everything you ever want. <laughs> they looked at me like, huh? <laughs> I thought God loved me. <laughs> God loves you so much that he put us in your life to help protect you from getting everything that you want. And we processed that a little bit and talked about it. But Jesus is having a conversation with a mother who wishes something for her two boys. And in our series of Following the Master, we find ourselves here at this conversation with Jesus and the mother of James and John. And she has come to Jesus with a favor to ask a favor, a request, a wish. And the passage says in Matthew 20, beginning with verse 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her two sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, what do you want? That word in the Greek can also be translated wish. We're going to see it later in the passage. What do you wish? What do you want? And she said to him, declare... Now, this is a woman who knows what she wants. Declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. A little small favor to ask. Declare that my two boys, of course, a Jewish mother, the best boys in the world, can sit by you in your kingdom, on your left and your right, when you come in all of your glory. Command it. Declare it. Now, just to preface this a little bit, it's not too out of hand that she's asking this because in chapter 19 at the end, after Jesus had a conversation with a rich young man, Jesus told his disciples that they were going to sit on thrones. In verse 27 of chapter 19, it says, Peter said in reply, Look, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory... You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Wow. Imagine these 12 outcasts, if you will, these 12 losers in society, if you will, here with this rabbi. They've left everything really didn't have much. And he's saying, you're going to sit on thrones and judge Israel. You're going to have everything, more, hundredfold than what you left. You are going to have it all. You're going to have eternal life. Wow. Imagine the thoughts of power. Imagine the thoughts of prestige, of position, sitting next to him. It's going to be the biggest I told you so that ever happened in their lives. Jesus goes on again before this discussion with the mother of James and John in, verse, in chapter 20, and he tells that interesting parable about the vineyard owner and the workers that he hires. You know, it's a parable that kind of makes us feel uncomfortable sometimes. He goes out and looks for workers, and early in the morning, probably about 6 a.m., he finds some workers, and they go work in the field. And then at about 9 o'clock, he find some more, and then at noon, and then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, at 5 o'clock in the evening, when there's only an hour left of the workday, and when the day is over, 
They all come and they pay them the equal amount of pay for the day. Now that just doesn't seem what? Fair. Why does everybody know the answer to that when I ask that? Everybody, that just doesn't seem fair. And that's what the people who started working at 6 a.m. said. Wait a minute. They said, and when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. And this is why they were upset. Not because of the money, but listen to this. They said, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us. You have made them equal to us. That was the problem. It was the equality issue. They don't deserve, they're not equal to us. Don't make them equal to us. Well, you see, that's the problem because in the kingdom of God, everybody's equal, period. At the foot of the cross, in front of the grace of God, the mercy, the compassion, the love of God, everybody's equal. Nobody deserves anything. God is just generous. And that's what he says at the end of this parable. The landowner says, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So Jesus, this sets up the whole conversation that Jesus has with the mother of James and John. Because we're going to find out that, that the mother of James and John asks a particular question, but Jesus answers with a particular answer. So she says, please uh, command, de- declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. I wonder how many times Jesus has said that to me when I prayed to him. Whoa, John, you don't know what you're asking. You know, I'm so glad that God is gracious because sometimes we're asking for the big white elephant. You know, we think we're asking, oh, this must be God's will. And yet we're asking for this big white elephant to fill our life. And he's going, if I give that to you, you're going to have more pain and misery than you already have. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And I love James and John. They said, we are able. Yes. Yes, we can. You ever hear of arrogant ignorance? This is a perfect classic example of arrogant ignorance. Um, I've been there. I'm sure you've been there. You, you work with people. You live with people. You know, that sometimes there's just, they think they know it. And they're arrogant about what they don't know. It's like the hunter, you know, who has all the skins on the wall. It's always the hunter that doesn't have the skins on the wall that wants to tell the hunter how to hunt. Arrogant ignorance. Yes, we can. We are able. Oh, yes, Jesus, we are able to drink the cup that you're about to drink. I don't think they had a clue of the cup Jesus was about to drink in his suffering and his persecution. Because if they knew, if they understood, Jesus had been trying to tell them, but if they understood, I don't think they'd say, oh yeah, I want to go on the cross too. I want to be ridiculed. I want to be mocked. I want to be beaten. I want to, I want to die. Yes, we are able. He said to them, oh, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. You see, the mother of James and John asked what I call an empire question. And Jesus answered with a kingdom answer. You see, outside of the reign of God, outside of the kingdom of God, 
if left to govern myself, if left to, to reign my own life, it's always going to be about my empire. But under the mastering of Jesus Christ, under the reign of God, it's always going to be about kingdom. It's always going to be about the kingdom of God. And Jesus' whole life's vision, whole life vision was confidence in the reign of God that allowed him to serve and live like he did and live with a secret ambition of giving his life away for the Father's kingdom. The disciples didn't have that vision, and neither did their mother. And so, the empire question is asked. When you get to be king, I want my boys to be in the most powerful seats, the left and the right side. I mean, how would a mother feel? I can't answer that because I'm not a mother. But mothers out there, how would you feel to sit back and see this radical rabbi finally become king? And there are your boys right next to him on the left and the right. It's got to be a proud moment. Look. Look at my boys. And Jesus says, You will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared for by my Father. And then when the ten heard this, the other ten, the Scripture says, they were angry, they were indignant, they were quite upset. I think because James and John beat them to it. Man, we were gonna, I was going to ask that question. And there they go, mama's boys, just getting right in there, asking Jesus for the position. We missed out our opportunity. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers and the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. Again, empire. But in the kingdom, verse 26, it will not be so among you. But, again, one of my favorite theological words, but whoever wishes, there's that word again, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. You see, under the mastering of Jesus Christ, our wisher changes. The way we wish, the things we want, it gets transformed. Because when it's still under my mastering, when it's still under my empire, the things I wish are always focused on me gaining more control, more power, more position, and more prestige. But under the reign of God, the things I wish for are polar opposites. To serve. Now, who on earth in their right mind in this time and age here would make a slave a leader? But in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, the slave, the servant, is top. Be a servant. When I was uh, defending my master's thesis back in the day in my uh, graduate program, I went to Azusa Pacific University for my master's degree. Went to La Sierra for my undergrad. Uh, went to Azusa Pacific uh, for my master's. 
And um, it was always interesting because I was, I was the only Adventist within, I don't know, about 80 students or so uh, who were working on their, their master's in theology. And so I got picked on a lot. And I got asked a lot of things as far as the Adventist perspective on things. And so it was always kind of interesting. Um, I remember one time, this isn't really part of the sermon, but I thought I'd put it out there, kind of interesting. Um, we were talking about hell in class. And you get the Presbyterian perspective and, and the, the non-denominational perspective, and you get all the different Catholic perspective. And so they said, John, the professor said, what, what do the Adventists feel about this? And so I said, well, I go, our, our view of God is that, that this hell is not an ongoing eternal thing that people are going to be burning for the rest of their lives and for all of eternity, but that, you know, the, the flames are, the consequences are eternal. And that death actually means death means the cessation of life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. He goes, ah, oh, that's very interesting. And, and uh, so we were taking a, a break, and we were walking down the hall, and, and this gentleman, who's a pastor of the largest church in San Diego County, and um, phenomenal uh, professor, really appreciate him as well, too. He goes, you know, he goes, over the years, I think I'm becoming more and more Adventist than I realized. <laughs> he says, I really, I really, I really admire that picture of God's love. It makes more sense to me. And uh, so we were, we were, he was part of this panel when I was defending my master's thesis. And he said, uh, they said, what are some of the things within the Adventist church that, that, that you really appreciate? And we were talking about the Lord's Supper. We were in the context of the Eucharist and so forth. And, and I said, well, you know, and, and I got to admit to you, I was feeling a little, a little bit of pride inside. And I said, well, you know, I said, one of the things I really appreciate about my heritage is, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, is that we also practice what's called the ordinance of humility. <laughs> Some of you are quick. <laughs> and, and they go, oh, tell us more about that. And I said, well, okay. And so I told them about what we do with the foot washing and so forth, and told them how much I appreciated over the years growing up, and you know, what it means to me, and and, uh, and I was also knowing that none of them practice it in their churches. So I thought, what a great opportunity for me to educate these people. And then this same professor who was on the panel, he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I know what you mean. I go, you do? And he goes, yeah. He goes, every Thanksgiving, our church puts on a big dinner for the homeless. And we feed the homeless and we wash their feet. And I went, hmm. I went, wow, they got it, I don't. That's the heart of it, being a servant, humility. You see, this word servant actually here is not this glorified term minister that we use. It's the same word, but it's evolved over the years, and it's now this thing of, of position, the minister. You know, I always crack up when I go to a, a multi-denominational service like the Good Friday service or something, and sometimes they refer to you as the Reverend, you know, the Reverend Ciccarelli, you know, and it has a ring to it, you know, but, um, <laughs> but you know, we, this fancy term minister, I was with the early teens a few weeks ago, and I said, you know what the word minister means? And they go, no. I said, it means servant. <laughs> One of them said, hey, can you go get me some lunch? And I said, yeah, right on it. But it just means servant. We've glorified this word. This word servant in the Greek actually means a table servant, a waitress, a waiter. 
But here's the thing. In the kingdom of God, the servant, the table servant, is serving up the grace of God, serving up the mercy of God, serving up the compassion of God, serving up the forgiveness of God, serving up the love of God. Can you think of anything better to do with your life than to be a servant of the grace and love and compassion of God? To be a simple table servant, to to serve that up in people's lives, in the workplace, at home, in the neighborhood, when you're in line at at Stater Brothers, (laughs) to be a servant, to serve up the grace of God, to serve up the things of God. I can't think of anything better, anything better than to live a life where we are fully confident in the reign of God so much that we can be like Jesus and live and serve like he did in such a way that our secret ambition in this life is to give our life away for the kingdom and to serve it up to him. You see, Jesus goes on and he says, whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave, just as, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus' secret ambition was to give his life away for the kingdom, was to give his life away for the Father. And when you live with confidence in the reign of God, in spite of what it looks like in front of you, in spite of the situations in your life, when we live with confidence in the reign of God, we can give our life away. We can be a servant. We don't have to worry about power, prestige, and position. We just focus our eyes on the kingdom of God and his sovereignty. And when that happens, we can serve our hearts away. We can serve up the love and the compassion, the love of God. You see, he gave his life life up to rescue us, to rescue us from sin. Yes, we're forgiven for our sins, but the bigger picture also is to save us from ourselves, to save us from the lust of power, from the lust of prestige, from the lust of putting everything based on position. Jesus says, you want to be great in my kingdom? You're a servant. You want to be great in the empires of the world? You've got to step on people to get to the top. And the more people you have control over in your life, the more powerful you are. In the kingdom of God, the more people that are above you and that you're serving up the grace of God, the greater. The greater. So what do you wish for? What if, what if everybody lived with confidence in the reign of God? And everybody served up the grace and the love and the compassion and mercies of God. What would everybody's wishes be? Now that would be a place to live. Not just now, but for all of eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being an amazing teacher, an amazing master, an amazing Lord, an amazing Savior to show us what real life is all about, to give our life away. Lord, I pray that we would allow you to master us. Teach us every day what it means to be a servant in your kingdom. And please 
continue to remind us that there is nothing greater in life than to be a servant in your kingdom. That having the most power and prestige in this world and the empires of, that we create and make is nothing compared to being a servant in your kingdom. May we be sensitive to those we live with this week. That as actions happen and words are spoken that come right out of empire, may we serve up grace from your kingdom. May we serve up love, mercy, and compassion. Thank you for the greatest invitation to be a servant in your kingdom. Take a moment now in silent prayer and talk to your master about what he is saying to you today through these scriptures. Only a spotless lamb for a sinner's soul Gave me a heart of flesh for a heart of stone brought me down to my knees when I was full of pride and took away all the places I could hide those you love you will chasten and everything that can be will be shaken everything that can be will be shaken and only you remain only you remain whatever my treasure is there my heart will be fixing my eyes on things in the heavenly when everything is said and done, swept away, I want to be by your side in eternity. Those you love, you will chase it. Everything that can be will be shaken. Everything that can be will be shaken And only you remain Only you remain No suffering for the moment is pleasant But it brings forth the peaceful fruit of righteousness Jesus, my righteousness. And everything that can be will be shaken. And everything that can be will be shaken. And only you remain. And everything that can be will be shaken. Everything that can be will be shaken, and only you remain. And only you remain. 
When it's all said and done, the only thing that's standing is the kingdom of God. Where's our confidence this week? Jesus wants it in the reign of God. And he invites us to live and serve like Jesus did, with our secret ambition being to give our life away for the kingdom of the Father. As you go and you live with those that are around you, may you serve up the kingdom. God bless you.